Nausea's gone. I want to drink. I want to drink water. Can, we get, a, drink. can we get some water, please? A bottle of water? Drink. There's some right behind the camera right there. A bottle of water? One that's not open, guys. I don't want something wrong with somebody. I can stand. She hasn't been able to eat or drink without nausea, vomiting. <laughs> Thing, when she went on the water, she came up. She said, "He loves me, and he's not mad at me." chapter 8, and we're going to be in verses 22 through 25 here. Now this section and the section after it are, are kind of together, but I wanted to break them up because they're, they have two very powerful points that are separate from each other. So uh, if you would stand, I, I know I feel like we're in a Catholic church, stand up with me. Stand, stand up, sit down, stand up, sit down. Uh, so we're going to stand with, together for the honoring of the Lord's word here t- uh, today. So chapter 8. Verses 22 through 25. It says this. One day he and his disciples got into a boat and he told them, let's cross over to the other side of the lake. So they set out and as they were sailing, he fell asleep. Then a fierce windstorm came down on the lake. They were, they were being swamped and were in danger. They came and woke him saying, master, master, we're going to die. Then when he got up, Then he got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waves. 
So they ceased, and there was a calm. He said to them, Where is your faith? They were fearful and amazed, asking one another, Who then is this? He commands even the winds and the waves, and they obey him. Jesus, as we read this passage here tonight, and as we open up your word and we we hear from you, God, I pray that you would teach us. Speak to us powerfully through, through through your scripture. And Lord, speak through me, your vessel, today. God, I pray that this would powerfully encourage us and build us up, build up our faith. And God, stir within us an affection for you and a reminder of your affection for us. We love you, Jesus, and all these things we pray in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. So let's start first off with, with this passage. I think the best thing to do in a passage like this is first... We need to start with a good picture of Jesus. That's always a good place to start, isn't it? (laughs) Right? So the question, their question is the same kind of question for us. Who is this? Who is this? Who is this who who did all this? So what's the answer? Who is this? Jesus. Jesus. Who is Jesus? (laughs) Like the girl. Who healed the girl? Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, healed that girl that we just watched. Jesus healed her. So the question again, who is Jesus? Who is this? The disciples were following because of what he did and what he preached. That's why they were following. They they didn't quite have that grasp about really fully who he was. So imagine this. They were following him because of this, because they saw the miracles that he had been doing, and then he heard, they, they heard the preaching. But imagine this, sitting in the boat. You were about to die. You felt like you were about to die. And everyone, Gary, you've been there on a boat. We're going to die, right? Running from the thunderstorm. Like, like last, was last summer, a couple summers ago, and you know, we saw the clouds starting to come. We're like, let's get out of here. But Gary saw it before any of us. And he was like, we're going. Here we go. And we motored back to, back to shore, and sure enough, a thunderstorm of, upon thunderstorms. It was epic. Imagine if we would have been out on the lake during that, that storm. We would have maybe the, the same thing. Gary's been there. That's why he's like, we need to get out of here. These guys had probably been there before. We're going to die. We're going to die. And all of a sudden, in an instant, it's flat. The clouds are gone, and because he's, whoa, whoa. I mean, imagine, controls nature. Think about walking outside and be like, hey, clouds, rain. <laughs> it would be kind of cool, right? Or, hey, atmosphere, cool down. That would be a great one for right now, right? But how, imagine that, that, the, that creation itself obeyed. Instantly. If you were to ask them later on who they believed this was, what would they say? So let's look at some, a couple of these disciples. Let's look at Peter and John. What would they say after the resurrection, where we're living today? Here's what they have to say. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth 
into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. So they believe that Jesus, the guy that they were just listening to and watching calm the storm, was able to do that. And what, proclaiming what? The new birth, great mercy, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Another miracle, great miracle. And not only the miracle that he rose from the dead, but that, that promised us that we would also rise. Now let's look at John. John said this, from what was from the beginning, what we heard, what we have seen with our eyes. You think he was thinking about this moment when he was writing these words? About 60 years later, he was most likely thinking about this passage that we're in here right now. Like, we, what we saw with our eyes. Like, if I wasn't there, I wouldn't have believed it, was John, what John is, John is saying. What we saw with our eyes, what we have observed and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, that's Jesus. That life was revealed and we have seen it. And we testify and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. We have seen and heard. We also, what we have seen and heard, we also declare to you so that you may also have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that, your, so that our joy may be complete. Can you imagine John sitting with us right now? 2,000 years later, we're still reading this passage, and now we're reading this passage about when Jesus calmed this storm. That freaked them out. What does it say? And they were fearful and amazed. It freaked them out. But this same John, who's writing this, that our joy may be complete, gave one of the most amazing de declarations of the identity of Jesus Christ. Here's what he says, John 1.1. 1, 1, In the beginning was the word Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and the word Jesus was God. He was with God in the beginning. Here it is. All things were created through him. And apart from him, not one thing was created that has, not been cre that has been created. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. That, line sh that light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. Jesus calmed the wind and waves because of who he was. The creator of the wind and the waves. He displayed his power, the how, this is how God did it, God's power, and identity, who he was, is in doing what he did. In his display over creation itself. Wrapped up in all this is this how, the who, and the what of Jesus. Now, why? Why did Jesus do this? I mean, let's look at, at this passage in Mark 4. It's a very interesting question that, uh, that the disciples ask. So this is the exact same passage, just told with a little bit more detail. He said, Jesus, you know, he, Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on the cushion. So they woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to die? He was sleeping in a storm. I mean, who does that? Does Noel do that? <laughs> 
but on a boat, being tossed to and fro, right? He was tired. <laughs> Ministry tires him, tired him out, tuckered him out. But what did he say? Both instances, Mark chapter 4 and in Luke chapter 8, he said, where's your faith? The answer to that question, does he care? Don't you care? Jesus calmed the wind and waves to show the disciples that he does, in fact, care about them and their well-being. So how he did it, what he did, and why he did it, all wrapped up in showing his disciples that he does care about them. Yes, I do care. Hush, wind. Where's your faith, disciples? Now, Jesus' question here, does it kind of sound accusatory? Right. Where's your faith, you doubters? Where's Thomas? It's your fault, isn't it? He he, this is not, Jesus' question wasn't a shaming question. To make them feel bad that they doubted, that they questioned him. It was an, it was an, an invitation. It was an inviting question to reassure them that he was worthy of their faith. Did you catch that difference? It's not a shaming that they didn't have faith or that there was a lack of faith, but an invitation to affectionate faith, that he is worthy of their faith, allegiance, and trust in all things. Not just to follow Jesus and watch from a distance, but to actually place their trust in him. We'll see this later on when he talks about the bread. Like, they don't have any bread, and they're like, oh, we're not eating bread. And he's like, he just fed the 5,000. And Jesus is like, do you not see it? Do you not still understand? I can make bread out of the, the boat. I can make wine out of this salt water, out of the seawater. Is your faith really that lax that you don't yet see and understand? But this is a, an, an invitation. He's saying, believe in me. Believe that I am powerful and good and loving. He's saying, I do care, you guys. I do love you. Have faith in me, guys. Believe that I'm here for your good. He's also saying, I believe in this, I am your security in the storm and the calmer of the storm. Jesus is with you in the midst of the storm. Whether he calms the storm or not. And that gives us equal comfort. Now, when Jesus takes control, as we see in this passage, the crisis gives way to calm, and weak, insecure hearts are given courage. Do you think that these disciples were changed? Do you think their view of Jesus changed after this? Do you think their, their love and affection for Jesus was closer? And their desire to stick, stick extra close to Jesus was even more? It's like, I got to be right here. I got to stand right here, Jesus. You know, 
could be like, well, you, know, you know, James and John were like, you know, hey, can we you know, be your second, first and second? Oh, actually, it was his mom. His mom was like, hey, they told me about that time when you, when you calmed the sea. Can they just like stick by your side? Like stick to your right and to your left? You know, you moms, you know this. Like if you find a person who's safe, who can protect your kids, you're like, hey, stick around them. We trust them. You know, I, I trust very few people to babysit my kids, right? We know, mom, you, there's a trust factor in entrusting our children to other people, right? And it's interesting, like this passage is often attributed to dangers, you know, trials and fears in our lives, right? That's why I said this, this is one of the most uh, often preached passages in Scripture because of this, of this very aspect, because we live in a world, we live in a culture, we live in a, in a world that is full of trials, that is full of temptations, that is full of crisis. Turn on the news. It's one crisis after another. COVID, climate change, you know, Black Lives Matter, I was trying to alliterate, that didn't work. <laughs> but yeah, just there's crisis after crisis after crisis after crisis, always wanting to get you stressed out and anxious, fearful, and insecure. Because an insecure people can be more manipulated. When, when you are insecure, when you feel that insecurity, when you are listening to all the voices around you in this world, it, it knocks us off of our, our balance. It knocks us into this, this culture. I mean, the culture itself is not, I mean, I'm not just like harking on the mass media. I'm, I'm harking on everything. Because what is the, the enemy of this world? Satan himself wants to throw you into insecurity. He wants to, as soon as you find your, like a, like a, your bearings or you've found your foundation, you feel like you're somewhere solid, he'll actually just come along and go, just kind of knock you off balance. Because you're easier, someone who's off balance is easier to direct. Right? But these physical storms, let's talk about the physical storms. The physical storms, let's talk about the physical storms. They disrupt our lives. Right? Remember last summer when we had all the thunderstorms on Wednesday nights and we kept trying to have service outside and it kept driving us, you know, driving us inside because of all the thunderstorms? And remember that, remember that, remember that service? If you're here, you remember that service. All the lights went crazy, and the sound system went, went crazy, and I was like, oh, yes, God. But it was epic, because God waited to do it at, like, you know, these very powerful moments in the sermon. It was really cool. Uh, but, but thunderstorms, like physical storms, disrupt our lives. They, they slow us down, threaten the infrastructure of our lives. You know, the internet, TV, lights, etc. You know, it physically blocks the light from the sun, the moon, and the stars. It distracts us from what is going on around us, like that sermon last year, like that worship service last year. And they threaten physical harm for us. Do you know that one-third of, 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 of uh, lightning injuries happen inside? Really? Yeah. Wow. According to the CDC. A th- over a third, because, you know, I guess with the handles and things like water and touching electrical things and being in proximity to, to electrical outlets and things. But storms are, have a powerful effect on our lives. And it definitely affected the disciples that night, right? Storms are powerful. They, they give us the sense of awe that we are small. 
I was like, oh, God, you're so great. You're so big. Give me another lightning bolt. I want to watch. I want to watch your power. But I feel small and insignificant just compared to the power of a thunderstorm. And the, these things can cause the, the storms in our lives, the allegorical, you know, figurative storms in our lives, they cause that same fear, awe, insecurity about something external. Insecurity. Not, and when, I, when I talk about insecurity, I want to, I want to preface it, like, describe it as this. Not feeling secure in our current state of life. Not feeling secure in our current direction, our physical health, our provision, like our, our finances, or feeling off balance in our future. God, what does my future hold? It looks like it's just one giant storm on the horizon. I feel like I'm constantly preparing for the worst. Fear and insecurity are realities in our everyday lives. Living in prolonged times of fear and insecurity lead to discouragement. And I want to focus on that discouragement, the sucking of your courage out of your soul, out of your heart, out of your mind deflating, you know, taking away your courage and gumption for engaging in life, engaging in church life, engaging with your family, engaging with your friends. You start to get, become more and more deflated in your confidence and you, and to, you know, in order even to push forward. Here's the thing, guys. Belief in Jesus doesn't bar you from the storms coming. Our faith proclaims that he will be with us in the storm. And that's why we can have courage. To encourage. I love that word. It's this encourage. You know, the, the sucking of the courage and the in, like empowering, encourage. It's this, this giving and building and bolstering and, and, and filling up. Your spirit, filling up your heart, filling up your mind and your body with courage. You can take that next step. He's going to be with you. And that encouragement, because what happens when you fill, fill a glass? Like say, you know, this is full of water and I, you know, and I just, I fill it full of Dr. Pepper. I just keep filling it and keep filling it and keep filling it at the, at the, at the drinking fountain. Is it going to be water anymore? No. It's going to be Dr. Pepper, full of Dr. Pepper. Because all of what I'm filling it with, that heavenly juice, mm, yum, Dr. Pepper, is pushing out the water, is, push, is displacing the other. So as God fills us with encouragement, he encourages our heart, he encourages our soul. It pushes out the fear that insecurity has no place to, to rest inside of, our, inside of our cup, inside of our analogy. It's not our faith that saves us. It's faith in Jesus that saves us. Because could the disciples have saved themselves? No. It was only Jesus that night who could save them. I love this scripture passage in, in Romans 11. This gives us a beautiful ex, you know, exhortation, wonderful, beautiful praise of Jesus from Romans chapter 11. Oh, the depths of the riches 
and the wisdom of the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and untraceable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? And who has ever given to God that he should be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. So even though we may not understand it, how unsearchable is God's wisdom? We may not understand the trial that we're in. We may not understand the the discouragement and the the struggles and and the physical trials, the mental trials, the emotional trials, the spiritual trials, the dryness and the heat that is in our world, in our nation, right now, in our city right now, that's on top of us right now, baking us alive and sucking the moisture out of the soil. That's what the enemy and this life wants to do to your spirit. Wants to suck the life out of you and to just overcome you with fear, burning fear, anxieties. And so that's, that's what we're talking about is this understanding that God has called us as his church to be a non-anxious presence in an anxious world. Walking around this life without anxiety is the true counterculture attitude that we walk around with. Without freaking out and stressing out, overworking, overcommitting, over-spiritualizing, over this, over that, just being with God, walking by his spirit in a spirit of calmness in a spirit of of non-anxious presence in this world because Jesus' control when Jesus takes control Jesus' control calms the chaos and gives courage this is a moment where several things are happening all at once for the disciples in the boat here one, Jesus is showing himself to be God the creator and has power, power over creation itself Jesus is inviting them into a deeper, more robust faith in him. You know, solidifying that they, make the, that they made the right choice. You know, leaving everything behind and following Jesus. And that he, he does, in fact, care about them. And that he loves them. And this is where we hear that for us today. Just like that girl was on the floor celebrating and weeping these words from her spirit. He loves me. Say that with me. He loves me. Say it again. He loves me. And one more time. He loves me. Jesus loves you. He cares about you. He sees you in your trial. He sees you in your storm. He's with you in your storm. He's with you in your confusion. He's with you in your distraction. He's with you in the trials of life. He's with you in physical suffering. He's with you in trying to figure out direction. He's with you in frustrations. He's with you in the stress and the anxieties of daily life. He's with you and he loves you. He loves you. Jesus is the creator and sustainer. Don't forget that word. The creator and sustainer of all things. He holds all things together by the word of his power. 
including you, including your life, including your family. When we, I love this picture. When we pray, it's not, about, it's, not, it's not that we are arousing Jesus to our need, but that he is actually awakening us and our hearts to his ability to meet our need. Like I said, he already knows what you're going to pray before you pray it. So when you're praying something to him, he knows it. He's stirring it in your heart. What, is, what do you and your family need? What direction do you and your family need? And your friends, your coworkers, your life. He created you. He shaped you. He knows you. All of you. Yes, all of you plural, but all of who each and every one of you individually are. He knows you. All of you. He sustains your life. If you ain't dead, he ain't done. If you're still breathing, he's still working. And that's a promise that you can take to the bank. And feel, feel the weight of what she said in that video. He's not mad or disappointed in you. He's not frustrated by you or surprised by you. No matter how much you fail or stumble, have imperfections, don't get this faith thing all the, right all the time. No matter if and when you fear and struggle with insecurities, with confusion, distraction, he wants them. He wants them all. He wants you to lay them down at the foot of the cross. Jesus is waiting what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Lay them down. Lay your fears down. Lay your insecurities down. Lay your pain down. Lay your trials down. Lay your tribulations down. Lay your temptations down. Lay all of your stinking thinking and, and old tapes down at the foot of the cross. Jesus is waiting there with open arms to wipe them clean and to restore you to wholeness. Jesus wielded his power to show the disciples during this night his great power and his great love in their lives. And he wants to wield that same power and love in your life here today. That he is with you. And he wants to actually empower you as well to do that for others. Because remember, that girl had to be brought physically by someone. She couldn't walk. She was in bed for months. There are people that God wants to reach through you. First, that's your life. First, that's your family's life. But who else does God want to touch and to heal and restore because of your faith? Where is your faith? Like I said, it's not a shaming faith, remember? It's an invitating, it's an invitation faith. Where is your faith? Who do you want to bring to Jesus to, to receive healing, to receive restoration? Jesus still rebukes the wind and the waves today, through us today, because of 
whose we are. We get to participate with that. We get to participate with Jesus in his calming of the storm in each other's lives in the church and the reaching of lives who need, desperately need the gospel in the city around us. Say those words often. Write them on a sticky note. Put them on your mirror. He loves me. Jesus loves me. Sit with that each morning before you go and do your your daily life. Sit with those three words. He loves me. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, you love us. You are so good. You are powerful. You are the creator God. You are the image of the invisible God. Perfect imprint of his nature. Who can understand you, Lord, and fully comprehend you? No one can, Lord. But we are so blessed, God, that you have called us into your marvelous light. As you say, as Peter, our brother in the first century, says that we have become partakers of the divine nature. We are partakers of you, Lord Jesus. We have been brought in by your Holy Spirit into Christ, into your kingdom, into your presence. And you invite us daily into your presence, Lord, so that we can hear those words. You love us. And say those words, he loves me. You love me, Jesus. Let us sit in your presence and speak those words to you. And remind ourselves daily that those words are true and those words are powerful. Let us fill our lives with that, with who you are, with your Holy Spirit, with love and peace and joy and hope so that there's no room for fear and insecurity. Fear has to leave in your presence, Lord. The sound of your great name, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray all these things. Amen.